may be seated. Well, good morning. Again, my name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome you on this Easter Sunday. And if you haven't noticed, uh, we believe that Jesus, the divine Son of God, lived a real life, walked the earth. He lived and breathed, and he died a real death on a bloody cross uh, for sinners like you and me. And three days later, he rose from the dead, right? He is risen. Let's try that again. He is risen. But so what? Right? So what? what? What does that mean? Why does it matter? Why do Christians get so excited about Easter Sunday? Well, it's because Jesus isn't just concerned with his own resurrection. He's concerned about your resurrection and my resurrection as well. We were just singing it, right? The resurrecting king is, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. And so the resurrected Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raises us up to new life, both in this life and the life to come. Sometimes that's called Christian conversion. And this is what we're going to talk about today, Christian conversion. We're going to actually look at probably the most famous Christian conversion of all time, the conversion of Saul, who eventually becomes the Apostle Paul, and he's pretty much the, the, the star of the show from, from now on in the book of Acts, and, and then we'll write most of the New Testament as he's writing to different churches that he will have uh, started along the way. And so what we want to look at today is what is Christian conversion, or, or who, I'm sorry, who is eligible for Christian conversion, and what happens in Christian conversion, and how can I experience Christian conversion? So who's eligible, how does it happen, and how can I experience it? Now, most conversion stories have a before I met Christ and how I met Christ and what God did in my life after I met Christ, and this one's no different. And so in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and you may want to grab one of those Bibles on the floor there because it's going to be helpful for you to follow along in the text. Maybe open it up on your phone, but uh, Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts chapter 9, verse 1. So this is a little of, of Saul's before story. It says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now this is an interesting before story, right, for someone who's converted Christian. He's part-time Bible scholar, part-time persecutor of the church. He persecuted them to the point of incarcerating them, torturing them, even murdering them. The first time he pops up in the book of Acts, he's participating in a mob killing of the first Christian martyr of all time. His name was Stephen. We read about that back in Acts chapter 7 uh, here on the screen. But they, as in the mob, cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him, him being Stephen. And they cast Stephen out of the city, and they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named, guess who? Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is Saul before he became a Christian. He was sanctioning the persecution of Christians, even the murder of Christians. If Saul's eligible for Christian conversion, I'm fairly certain anyone's eligible for Christian conversion. Everyone is. And Saul even uses this when he writes uh, a letter to the Corinthians as an argument uh, for uh, who can be born again, who can become a Christian. And 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He knew the, both the, the, the depths of his sin and his need and the goodness of the grace of God, and that that could be offered to anyone. And so we've seen all kinds of people experience Christian conversion in this church. We've been here 18 years, and every year we've seen people go from not knowing Christ to knowing Christ. We've seen people who grew up in religious homes who became Christians. We saw, we've seen people who had little or no religious background. We've seen people who are rich, some are poor, some who are addicted, some who are depressed, angry, lonely, some who've hated, some who've lusted, some have been traumatized. Usually it's some combination of some of those things that I've just listed, but they all came to a place where they knew they needed Christ. And Jesus was clear that, that no one is, is outside of his saving. He was having a conversation with some religious leaders one day. This is back in Matthew chapter 9, you know, it's on the screen here, where the religious leaders aren't so sure that everyone has access to Jesus' saving. And they ask this question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And well, when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. He let them know that day, if, if, if you're in need of forgiveness, you're in need of a relationship with God, and you come to him, he's going to receive you. It's those that have the, the awareness that they are sick, that they are in need of Jesus. But the problem is, most of us don't know we need Jesus. Most of us in, in the before stage of our story have no clue that we need Jesus. So this is why we need a conversion. And so let's move into the next piece here. What happens in a Christian conversion? Uh, let's look at what happens to Saul. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 9. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So how do you get converted? Well, Jesus ambushes you. That's how you get converted. Jesus ambushes you. I want you to hear that because I, I want you to understand this, this is not just some sort of a religious system that you intellectually consider, and then you decide this is what you want to, 
follow. This is not just some religious precept. This is a living Jesus who has risen, who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, who's at work even now, 2018, in the Pioneer Valley, in this moment, in the power of His Spirit. Right now, there's some times in the book of Acts and other times where Jesus is a little more direct, and He needs to be direct in this time in, in, in church history. Um, and so we see Him directly interacting uh, with Saul. Now, there's two parts of every Jesus ambush. All right? so, so the first part is what we see in the section that I just read. We see Him confronting Saul about his sin. Now, this had to be a scary moment. I mean, I love this interchange where he, he sort of blinds him and, and uh, he's talking to him and Saul's like, uh, excuse me, who are you? Could you clarify? I mean, I know you're God, but could you like clarify? And he's like, I'm Jesus. Oh, man, bad day. You know, like, oh, he, he comes to this conclusion, you know, this, this awareness that, that he has been sinning against God and it's personal. Now, partly what Jesus is saying is, is that the church is his body. And so if you're persecuting his body, you're persecuting him and he's taking it personally. But on another level, all sin is personal. It is a personal affront to a holy God. You see this concept throughout all of the Bible, Old Testament and New. Uh, after King David has lied and committed adultery and he's murdered one of his top soldiers, uh, he's confronted about that sin, and he writes Psalm 51. A couple of verses in that psalm go like this, 51.3 says, For I know my transgressions, transgressions is like something you've known was wrong and you did it anyway, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David, even though he's, he's lied to people, he has committed adultery, uh, he has murdered, and those sins have affected people, lots of people. Uh, he, he knows that it, that matters, that he's sinned against people, but he knows ultimately, preeminently, what matters is that he has sinned against a holy God, and that because of that, he is worthy of judgment. Saul knows that. He gets that. It's partly why he's not eating or drinking. Now, three days not eating, not that big a deal. Three days not drinking, that, that's, that's, that's like getting toward some health problems. Like, like he is, is stunned into this sort of moment of, I'm, I'm gone. I'm dead. God's going to get me, right? And, and there's a sense in which every Jesus ambush has this part to it where you realize that your sins are, are not just, oh, I just made a mistake. Oh, I messed up. No, I, I have sinned against a holy God. I actually have a condition of sin that I can't fix. I need Dr. Jesus to come and fix me, which gets us to the next part of the ambush. Now, the next part of the ambush, God includes a human being to go and finish up the ambush. Okay, now this is usually how God does the Jesus ambush. Uh, usually it's not a bright light and a voice on some road. It's actually he sends a Christ follower to you, and that Christ follower tells you the two pieces of the Jesus ambush. And so the second piece here gets done by a guy named Ananias. So verse 10 of Acts 9, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Okay, that's a good 
Good, good answer. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. This is the second part of the, the, the Jesus ambush, and that is that he saves us from our sin. I mean, the whole reason he pointed out our sin and its consequences is so we would run to him for salvation. He didn't just point it out, just make us feel bad, make us feel like we're under judgment, but so that we would know we have a need for the Savior. We didn't know we were sick. We didn't know we needed Dr. Jesus. And so through his ambush, we come to that realization, and it readies us for the remedy. God even gives Saul the experience of blindness in, in sort of the seen world such that he understands his need in the spiritual world. It's like a concrete representation of, of where he is spiritually and how desperate he is. Saul later, who will write in 2 Corinthians, using this image of being blinded before knowing Christ, he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He, know, he knows what that feels like in the material world, to be, to be blind. And he likens it to uh, being blind before you know Christ. Right? You, you, just, you don't know that you, you have this need for Christ. Now, Ananias has a few questions. Because Ananias is not so sure that everyone is eligible for Christian conversion. He says in verse 13, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he's authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I love these moments when human beings are talking to God and they're like, hey, God, are you fully up to date on the details? Right? Now, obviously he is, but, but God is patient, right? He's, he's willing to answer these kinds of questions. He goes on in verse 15 to answer the questions. He says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show you how much he must suffer uh, for, for the sake of my name. So he lets him know, I'm powerful enough to convert even Saul. In fact, I'm so powerful, I'm not just going to convert him to be a Christian. I'm going to actually convert him to the point where he's a missionary. And I'm going to send him out. And he's going to bring my gospel. Right? My good news is going to go out through this man's ministry, through his life. Uh, it, it's a reminder. Again, ev everyone is eligible for the saving grace of Jesus. So Ananias goes and he uh, gives him the second half of the Jesus ambush. And it's really, it's a powerful moment. Verse 17, Ananias departed. He entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the second part of the Jesus ambush. Right? This, is, this is grace. Right? He, he, he was under a conviction of his sin, and, and he was fearful about, about the judgment that he, he was under. And then Ananias comes in, 
and he lets him know that he's forgiven. He calls him brother, right? He's letting him know, like, we're right with one another. Even though you killed some of my friends, you were killing the church and incarcerating them and torturing them, you're forgiven. It's a powerful, powerful moment. But not only is he right with Ananias and right with his brothers and sisters in Christ, he's right with God. And so in that moment, the other thing that happens is he becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Saul experiences the presence of God for the first time in that moment, knowing that even though he, he has sinned against God in, in, in some heinous ways, that God has now by grace given him forgiveness and now become so personal with him that now he's living inside of Saul in the power of the Spirit. Uh, the Apostle Paul ac- actually talks about his own story of, of conversion in Acts chapter 22, and he says what Ananias said to him in that moment. And he says, Acts twenty two fourteen there on the screen behind me, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. It's such a moment, again, of, of grace for Paul. And, 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 he, and he says to him, what are we waiting on? Let's get you baptized. He, he doesn't say, let's put you on a six-month probation. Like, I'm not so sure, Saul, that this is real. I'm not, I'm not so sure that you're actually a Christian. I don't trust you. No, he doesn't say that. He calls him his brother. He, he, he lays hands on him, he prays for him, and he's like, let's, let's get baptized, let's, let's profess. And what, what's happening in that baptism, as in every baptism, is, is that they're, they're professing that they believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. They're actually professing it with their body as they go underneath the water and they're brought back up. He's also saying that this has happened in his own life, that he has died to his old self and he's been raised in the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He's also saying that he is joining the community of faith, the others that have gone through that same ritual to express what they've experienced as they believe in Christ. Again, it's not something that Saul did. It's something that Jesus did for Saul. It's a Jesus ambush. It's a Jesus ambush. So how can I get in on this, right? How can I get in on this? Well, I'll use the words of, of Apostle Paul himself, Romans 10, 9, and 10. He says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is the Apostle Paul's description of saving faith. Right? There, but there's a confession and there's a belief in the heart. There's these two, two things going on at the same time. Uh, that if you confess with your mouth, that is, that is showing that you actually understand the truth that is the gospel. Right? And it does include that. Right? There's intellectual truth claims that, that have to be understood. But it's more than that. You're actually believing those truth claims with your heart, which is the very center of who you are. The place from which your, your mind and your will and your emotions come from. And that's where saving faith occurs. And so those that have saving faith, that have believed in their heart, confess with their mouth. Right? And so it, it's, it's a powerful description of how one becomes a Christian. So welcome to the Jesus ambush. 
I, I, I've been praying all week. Jesus is ambushing people at church on Sunday. I actually pray that all the time. But I, I, I'm, I'm praying that, that for some of you that, that you've come to understand the, the gospel. You've come to understand that, that part of the first part of the ambush, that, that you're a sinner and that you need salvation, right? And, you, and, and you've run to Jesus in the second part of the ambush. And you say, well, I haven't seen a light from heaven and heard a voice from heaven. No, it usually doesn't happen that way. But Jesus is speaking this morning. He's speaking through his word. Again, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so if you have been ambushed this morning, I want to encourage you to, to indicate on that little card that was on your seat that you became a Christian this morning. Some folks this morning in the first service that have experienced that. So, so it's a way to confess with your mouth. You're actually confessing with your pen, right? You're saying, this, this happened. Like, I, I want to be a follower of Christ. I, I want to receive his forgiveness, and I want to walk with him as his disciple. It may be that you have at least had your interest piqued, and, and you're thinking, I, I'm, I'm not ready to, to believe this morning, but I do want to know more, and I want to explore this. I would in- encourage you to indicate that on that little card. There's a, there's a part there on the card where you can say, I, I, I'd like to know more. I, I'd like to be followed up with. And, and we're going to follow up with you. We're not going to hunt you down, but we are going to reach out to you on, on email or maybe a text and say, hey, if you'd like to get coffee, let's talk more. Let, let's, let's find out more about what uh, your story is and how you might want to become a follower of Jesus. There's also some opportunities there in the back corner. Uh, you, there's some books, some Bibles, uh, books about basic Christianity. Those are for folks that are exploring. Please take those. That's what they're there for. I'm hoping they all disappear out the door. And uh, those are, are free of charge. There's also a Meet Mercy House class that's April 14th. It's on a Saturday. It's at 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And it's an opportunity for people to come hear about the gospel, to hear about baptism, basic Christian beliefs, ask questions, do dialogue. Uh, and, and so, again, these are opportunities for you to take next steps, either to profess your faith in Christ or to begin to explore uh, what that might mean. One of my favorite conversion stories is a guy named John Newton. He uh, was alive in mid-1700s, late 1700s, and he grew up with some religious training in his home, but when he was age seven, his mother passed away, and uh, life got really hard. Uh, His dad was a a ship captain and was gone a lot, so he kind of abandoned him to the stepmother. Stepmother neglected him, then sent him off to boarding school, and in boarding school he was uh, abused. He became a very angry man, uh, renounced any kind of faith in God. He was, because of his bad behavior, he was forced to serve in the British Navy. Eventually they allowed him to be released. Uh, He got involved in the slave trade. Uh, While aboard the ship, the Greyhound, he became known as the most profane sailor on the Greyhound. Uh, He was even in trouble with the captain uh, for his uh, profane ways of of living and acting and and speaking. In 1748, he picked up a Christian book and started reading it. Started thinking about the gospel, started thinking about uh, both his sin and the salvation that comes through Jesus, and he got ambushed by Jesus. Uh, Jesus used a a storm. It was a really bad storm. They didn't think they were going to make it, and he started getting very concerned about 
his future and his eternity, and he just cried out for mercy from God. He didn't really understand the gospel at that point yet, but he cried out for mercy from God. They got through the storm. They got to the shore. He decided to go to church. He walked into the church, sat down, and a guy that was the pastor of that church named John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist uh, church, and he heard the second part of the ambush from John Wesley that Christ had died to forgive him of his sins, all of his sins, and had washed him clean, and that he could come and be reconciled with God, and he could be reconciled with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So he became a Christian that day, left the slave trade, became uh, a pastor. He then lost his physical sight as he was pastoring in a ministry. And he is a prolific writer, and he's written many things, both books to read and hymns to sing. One of the lines that one of the hymns that he wrote goes like this. Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I am found, was blind, but now I see. My prayer for you this morning is that you would go from being blind to being sighted, from being lost to being found, that no one here is ineligible for the grace of of God, and that's being offered to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. And He desires to forgive you and to wash you clean and to bring you into a relationship with Him. For those of you that are Christ followers, we want to celebrate that conversion. We want to look back on that conversion, much like uh, a young couple or an old couple looks back on when they met and married and fell in love. We as Christians need to look back and we need to remember. Uh, when we were converted. And, and one of the times that we do that, I think each Sunday is when we come to this communion table. And this communion table is for the converted. It's one of the signs that the church has been given to, to, to show those that are in Christ. And so we were reminded on, on, the, on the night on which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take Eat, this is my body given for you. Right? This is the Jesus ambush. It's something he does for us, not something we do for him. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The reason he gave his life is not just to be a, an example of laying down your life for others. He gave his life to be a payment for sin so that we could be forgiven of that debt. And so every time we come up to this table and we hold out our hands and we receive that, that piece of bread, it, it's a reminder of, of when we first came to Christ and we were blind and we were, were, were stumbling around just like Saul was in this story and saying, help, and Jesus helped us. And honestly, as, as you mature in Christ, you just realize how much weaker uh, you, you are, how much more in need you are 
And as you grow in faith, you learn to depend on the grace and the power of Jesus more. That's what Christian maturity looks like. And so it's a, it's a, it's a good reminder for us as we come down to take the bread and take the cup of, of our conversion and to be grateful that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead on Easter morning is living in us, is resurrecting us, is giving us new life, both in this life and the life to come. Let's pray. God, you are good. You, you love us. You love us so much that you confront us with our sin, and then you offer us salvation. Thank you that you've ambushed so many in this room and in so many different ways. And you knew exactly how to do it in a way that would reach their hearts and bring them in to become your sons and daughters. Lord, for those that are, are, are moving into to that relationship uh, for the first time this morning, God, I just give you thanks and praise for, for doing that kind of, of, of conversion work this morning with your gospel. And for those that are still wrestling and asking questions, and God, would you also meet with them today? And, and, and show them the truth in your word and, and show them the love that you have for them, Lord, and that they're not ineligible for your grace and your gospel. God, would you bless the bread and the cup, bless our time together as we remember, Lord, what you've done for us in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.